0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Women Who Sport podcast. This week on the podcast we are super excited to be joined by Asma el She is an author, a poet, a basketball player and also was a huge part of the campaign in 2014 to allow you to wear a hijab while you're playing basketball and just increase the inclusivity of the sport. So we're so excited to have her on the podcast. She's an absolute trailblazer and history maker. And yeah, we're buzzing to have her on with us this week.
1: Before we get started, we just want to give a shout out to our two partners this series. Um, Locker Stash Rugby, they're great humans. They pretty much um, sell on Pre-Love Rugby Kit for charity. And also Boob Armour is an Aussie company pretty much designed to protect women's boobs during contact sport. Again, doing really good things, trying to break through into the UK.
0: We have a code for Boo now too, if you're buying any of their products, which gets you, I think it's $10 off, or yeah. £10 off, whatever the UK equivalent is, and it is Women Who Sport" in capital letters.
1: Yeah, all one word. Sweet. Okay, news of the week, highs and lows. Rona, you start. Are we starting with highs or lows? Either. I'm going to do mine in one, so whatever you think. Okay, I've got two
0: lows. Okay. So let's start with lows. Okay, first low... World Rugby. Did you see this one posted? This is my one. <laughs> posted a video of Sarah Hunter, like, been playing international rugby for what ten years, like, way over a hundred caps for England, absolute legend. English captain Sam. as well. English captain calling her Sam. Oh, like, uh, tragic. Yeah, that <laughs> was Rugby.
1: That was mine as well. However, my high was also the fact that so many people caught on to it, both men and women, and were like, "This is outrageous."
0: yeah it's an absolute joke yeah and as well they joke. just changed it to sarah like 48 hours later no like sorry we're absolute trash just yeah um, <laughs> that's edit. terrible i know yeah. like oh it's just add as well like what a we do so many like cool things for the women on your insta on their instagram like makes you think oh they value the women's game do and they, then boom, sam
1: imagine calling owen Farrow, charlie Farrell. <laughs> Who's he? Literally, it wouldn't happen It would not no. happen Or Oscar, I guess it's the same starting letter yeah. Oscar, Farrell. Oscar
0: Farrell Wouldn't happen Okay, second low I've seen this on some of the Irish girls' Instagrams So Galway Gaelic football team Had their all-Irish semi-final On Croke Park and got seven minutes To warm up for the game because it was after The men's games finished, so they had to go into a semi-final With seven minutes to warm up Because the men were on the pitch that's tragic uh, well, it, yeah and it just it would never happen to a men's team ever no no I totally agree that's really
1: bad I know it's been a bad week for women's sport yeah it has
0: I agree okay what's your positive then positive so a seen that cricket have or England cricket or whatever have given like each club enough money to fund six full-time club players so before the England girls were in, were full-time professional the club players weren't but now each club has six players that are professional cricket players so that's amazing
1: yeah really really cool that is like the next step and essentially they're leading the way I think in in the UK for women's team sports for a few years now they've been fully paid and they've incrementally increased it and kind of kept their word to that I think and I think other sports in the UK could really follow from that and learn from that because they are now like a really profitable team 100%. operate similar to how the men would operate so I think it is quite a good thing for their governing body to to back them believe in them take the like bite the bullet and just think we're going to back a women's team in it
0: and I think it's paid off yeah agreed 100% and because that's kind of the way that professionalism goes isn't it like the international team are supported and then it what's the word filters down filters down to the club teams so yeah let's hope that it follows suit in other sports (laughs) yeah (laughs) that is our good news of the week amid all the bad news yeah that's good one I like that sweet let's get Shannon Martin on and get into the episode with Azma you believe you can be. You're somebody that's got a lot of cool things going on but we're going to start with something that's actually off the court which is your poetry and I think it's very fitting timing because you've just had your first book out. Yeah. Yeah so can you yeah talk to us about I guess what got you into poetry and spoken word and about how you've got to the stage of yeah releasing your own book because that's amazing.
2: Sure so uh, I started writing at like eight years old um after we did a poetry class with my primary school teacher and I just loved the way that you could just write whatever you wanted and there's no real structure to it and at the time I was dyslexic and I never knew so when I saw like red markings on my pages in the classroom and stuff it kind of always confused me but then with the poetry it didn't have that kind of structure to it so I was able to be free and I wasn't seeing as many like red markings and then from then on, it was almost something that I just did in private all the time. Every time something came into my mind and I really needed to express myself, I just wrote these poems and didn't really share them with anyone. And when I went to uni, I felt like I was doing it more and more. And then eventually during my course, um, it was a photography and video course, but I always had that poetry accompanying the images. And I felt like that was sort of the combination that I felt really comfortable with and, it allowed me to give some context to the images without having to just write like this is what the image is. So um, when I finished my undergrad, I did postgrad in visual arts, and I saw the same theme happening. And so when I graduated, I really wanted some time away from the camera. I wanted to see what life was like beyond the camera, and I just thought, oh, what what would poetry look like? without the images, without these different things. I want to go into a space and and see what that feels like. And I did that. And within like a few months, I was selected to be part of the BBC Words First program. And then I ended up winning for Leeds. And then that opened up so many opportunities for me in terms of traveling and performing. And it was just really, really fun. And then the more I connected with people through my poetry, the more I wanted to eventually create a book. And I think during lockdown, I had a lot of time to just sit and think and feel. And eventually I just felt, okay, you know what? I'm ready to put together all the poems that I've written over the past few years and put them into a book and share that with people. And I think it was really scary for me, the idea of giving people the actual words to my poems. Because for so long, I was always sort of, I don't know how to explain it, but like, haunted by the red markings (laughs) that's the only way to put it and now I'm just like oh well it doesn't matter like there is a different form of poetry and I can reach more people with that so why not spread that to other people so I think that's how belongings came about
0: oh love it so the book's called belongings Mm -hmm. and do you have like a favorite poem in the book
2: no I (laughs) actually don't not yet because each poem has a completely different theme I mean there's like a theme that goes throughout where it's like at the start it's all about being a woman and Sudanese and then it kind of evolves into what does it mean to be an immigrant and being sort of torn away from your land at such a young age and then from that it kind of goes into like mental health and so many different things and so there's nothing really in particular that I like is my favorite I think each one has its own story and its own style as well. And even like in the text when you look like you can tell that this is a different poem to the one before just by the way I've sort of put it on the page oh wow that's cool (laughs) yes how does it feel like having your own book that's really cool it feels so strange because as soon as I got it my friend was like oh you're an author now and I was like no no I'm not an author like it's just the book and she was like no no it means you're an author now and I was like no but I've been in anthologies before and she was like no no but this is your whole entire book just with you and your name on it and it's amazing it's like such a big accomplishment for me because like at school I was genuinely that student that was told like you're gonna fail like you're not trying hard enough especially like in English and English literature and then to come out of that with my own book it just feels really amazing
0: that is amazing and especially growing up with dyslexia by, like, having your own book that really defies that and about, like, the stigma associated with dyslexia? Yeah,
2: because I think me and my friends talk about dyslexia a lot because it, there's this kind of idea around it that you can't spell and words jump around and all these kind of odd things. But for me, it's not really that. It's just my life. learning style is really different and I like to learn in a particular way. So, like, the way we were learning in school was pretty much, like, this is information, here's a test. And that's not how I like to learn. I like to feel it and touch it and sit with it for a few days and really like laugh or have another emotion that I can attach to that later that I can remember like, okay, when you laughed at this thing, that's what you learned that day. So, okay, now it's all connected. Whereas most people just get taught like, okay, this is information and learn it.
0: Yeah, cool. Love it. And I guess as your main influences with poetry, your upbringing and being a Sudanese woman in Britain and personal experiences.
2: Pretty much, yeah, because, I mean, we write from what we know and also from the women that I spend a lot of time with. There's some poems in there that are about masculinity and that's just because my relationship with my dad and my male friends and sort of listening to them and their ideas about the world and they contradict to women sometimes and sometimes they're in alignment with us so it really is just from what I know and that's all I know how to write. So moving on to
1: sport because another big aspect of your life is basketball did you find sport a good release at school when you're kind of getting bogged down by the kind of teaching styles um, academic side of work that you per- perhaps weren't enjoying as much was sport your release and have you always enjoyed it?
2: I always loved sport like I'm the youngest and I have an older brother and he's mad crazy about football and my dad is too so we would always just go to the park and play and I would just sit and watch <laughs> but like that's what really got me into it to begin with and then me and my brother would go outside and he would make me be goalie and he'd just take loads and loads of shots but like that's how I grew up I grew up on the street playing street games and at the same time at school I would go into the art classes as well as the PE classes but PE was like one of those things that just came so natural to me I would just always be like the captain or I'd always be winning you know for my class and all these kind of things and It did feel great and I think at the time I never really felt like I was struggling with my education. I just was being told that I'm not where I should be but for me I felt like I was doing quite well but the way they were like talking to me was as if like I was just not figuring out life but actually I was doing all right and I think sports was the biggest biggest release for me in terms of like at the end of the day I would just go to after school class and I would just enjoy myself and I actually went to two schools so I used to go to an English school in the daytime and I used to go to a Arabic school in the evening for like two nights during the week and one day in the weekend and I'd do everything again in Arabic so I'd do like the English and the sciences and the history and everything but like the Arabic version (laughs) and so for me sports was like the okay I can go play now I can enjoy life and My mum was a teacher and she made sure we had that balance of like play and study.
0: So having done your like chemistry, biology, physics during the day, you'd then have to go and do them again in Arabic at night. Yeah. Oh, that is so difficult. That must have been like extremely busy in
2: those years. It was really busy. And I think their system was completely different as well, because we had like midterm exams and final like term exams. And like there's so many exams going on. And like all I remember was just like, study, play, study, play, exam, study, play, study, play, it was just this repeat cycle but because my mum was just so great at it and so natural at it I don't think I ever felt like I studied too much. Was
0: was the motivation doing again in Arabic so that like wherever you decided to live where you grew up you'd have a solid foundation to do that?
2: Yeah because for my parents it was like my dad came here to study and then him and for my mum like the dream was okay we'd come my dad would finish his studies and we'd go back and then we ended up staying and then it was almost like we always had this thing in the back of our mind that we're not going to remain here and we're probably not going to live here for the rest of our lives so my mum always wanted this backup plan that would allow me and my brother to like slot into the education system over there without struggling but she made sure I did like my GCSEs as well in Arabic and A-levels in Arabic just to always have that sort of backup in case we needed it
0: yeah wow that's impressive so what age were you when you moved over to the uk
2: so i was one years old but then from the age of 11 we went back pretty much every year for the whole entire summer holiday oh cool so, yeah then we had to integrate into that society somehow and it, i think that was confusing for me because i eventually saw this place that my mum kept talking about and these people who kept talking to me on the phone that I didn't know. And then when I got there, I sort of realized, oh my God, my mom has a mom and a dad and a brother and a sister, like what's all that about? Like, that's so weird. <laughs> but yeah, and then after that, like, I think I spent a lot of years, especially like at uni, trying to figure out where do I fit in? And then eventually I just kind of became comfortable in who I am because I read a lot about Stuart Hall and. way he kind of viewed identity as something that's fluid and it changes with time and you don't have to be so fixated on one thing and that made me just feel more comfortable with like being Sudanese and British and like sometimes I'm gonna relate more to being Sudanese and sometimes gonna relate more to being British and that's fine. That is really
1: interesting, I um, used to teach at a school in Loughborough and a lot of my kids especially my tutor group were second generation, first generation Bangladeshi And they often would speak to me about this and and kind of get a bit, not confused, well, maybe, yeah, confused is the right word around how they would identify. Um, So I think it is a really common thing, especially in the UK with kids growing up, they, they kind of are a bit confused. And I guess your poetry was probably a way that you were able to, like, write all of those things down.
2: Exactly, yeah.
1: So going back to sport then, you mentioned that you did, like, a lot of sport growing up. What was it that then got you into basketball?
2: So it's a bit of a long story. You've got time. (laughs) But but, um, basically, when I went to uni, I tried to play netball because that was like my main sport at high school. And then I didn't make the team because they trialled me as a wing and I play goal attack or centre and I was really annoyed. And so I just decided I wasn't going to really play any sports. Um, and on top of that I genuinely felt like my parents only let me play sports in Bradford because I was in all-girls school and you know there's no men in those spaces and they were comfortable with me playing there so I just thought you know what I've not seen any girls on TV anyway wearing hijab and playing sports and they're Muslim so it's probably not even allowed in our religion so I just left it and then after two years I got so bored like ridiculously bored and then um I had a friend and he was literally like oh I'm doing basketball later and since you play photography I mean since you do photography why don't you come and take some pictures so I took one of my friends because I was like I'm not going to go into all male environment by myself that like tall basketballers and my friend came with me and then we took some pictures and then as I was going in I saw a group of girls in basketball shorts and I remember thinking oh wait I like I want to try that like is there a girls team like what's going on here and I asked and they were like yeah there's a girls team and they trialed me and I think I picked up enough basics to like learn and be teachable so I just joined and like I literally never looked back after that and after the first year I because I was telling my parents on the phone I came home and spoke to my dad and I was like look I want to play sports for the rest of my life like I stopped playing for two years I don't know what Islam says about this but like can we have a conversation about it and he was so supportive he was like when I was growing up in Sudan you know we had so many female teams and they were like representing abroad and internationally and you can do the same like you can inspire other people if this is what you enjoy doing and I was like I just want to play sports like I don't want to do all the whole inspirational things that come with it I just I just want to play and um, eventually I ended up doing my coaching and then like Coaching abroad and different things, and then the campaign happened. And I sat down with my dad, and I was like, mm, it's "Happened." <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. That's actually gave me tingles. Oh. God,
1: <laughs> that's really cool. So, did, so you kind of have alluded to this, but did you have any role models growing up?
2: I don't think I did, but it was just because of the way I was sort of raised. I don't know like my mom always got me to strive towards values rather than people but at the same time like even when I did watch tv and I watched the sports I didn't see anyone who looked like me mm. and that was really hard because when you can't see someone who looks like you you can't really envision their goals as your own goals yeah. and um I think because I also went to a girl's school and it was a Muslim girl's school, I think even the PE teachers who weren't Muslim just kind of adapted to that culture and that space and didn't really encourage me to sort of look beyond the PE space and, you know, like train with the local netball club or with all these other clubs that I later found out. There's so many clubs in Bradford, but I just never knew about them. And, um, but yeah, I think now there's so many role models. And I think that excites me. But before there wasn't really any for me.
1: It kind of brings us on to the next question. And again, you've, probably, you've sort of touched upon this, but what would you say were your main barriers growing up?
2: Oh, in terms of sports or in terms of... Um, yeah, we'll, we'll stick with sports. In sports, I don't think there was any barrier that was like so obvious. Because I just felt like I was living my best life like the whole time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was playing sports. And it was only when I suddenly realized like there's this whole world of like national um level like netball and basketball and whatever sport it is that you want to play and the local league and all these different leagues that I was like, whoa, I was really sheltered. Like, why was I not informed about all these different like sports spaces that I could join and literally like train and reach a level like that I could represent any one of my two countries (laughs) but um, I think that was the biggest barrier really like just not knowing and now that I know I feel like I need to pass that kind of information to other people and also sort of like emphasize on like grassroots sports because it's in the grassroots spaces that like you sort of then get to know about all the other levels and you can get coached and you can reach international level if that makes sense
1: yeah no definitely yeah oh that's cool and then that kind of brings us on quite nicely to the hijab campaign
2: um so how did this come about it was the most randomest thing ever because (laughs) um because i started doing lots of interviews for um my poetry like after I'd won. And so I'd gone on some TV channel and then as soon as I kind of got off, like within a few days, somebody contacted me from the production team and he was like, there's this woman that wants to speak to you about doing a project with her. And so she called me and she was talking to me about like, oh, you said on the interview that you studied art and you know, I'd love to go abroad with you and do like this project with young people. And i was like yeah i'm up for it and then you know and then we started talking and i said something about basketball and she was like wait you play basketball and i was like yeah i play basketball and she turned out her name's indira and she turned out to have played professional basketball and then wore the hijab and then was not allowed to play anymore and she was like we're, on, we're doing this campaign at the moment like would you like to join and we're two years in but like we we need all the support we can get in the, from everyone And I was just like, yeah, like I didn't even have to think about it. I was just like, yeah, this is my opportunity to sort of do something for the next generation, even if I don't benefit from it myself. And before we knew it, there was like 14 of us across the world that were campaigning. And like, I was lucky because I was traveling around that year. So I was able to campaign in like uh, Sudan and in Malaysia and UK. And then I got invited to be like part of the African women's sports conference. And then I, talked about that there and then I was up and suddenly saw this whole world of sports and people that want to play sports that I never really got introduced to but for me it really is about choice like the campaign was about choice it's not necessarily about the hijab it's about being able to choose to wear it or not and the ban was mainly um, any headgear that was over five centimeters and that just excluded women who do wear the hijab it also included others who wore religious headgear and they actually did their own campaigning alongside us and I just felt like it's the opportunity basically to showcase that you know as Muslims we do want to belong to society we do want to be seen and we want to be visible and we don't want to hide at home and not be seen and enjoy life
0: I think that is such a ridiculous barrier to people competing in sport, like the fact that there was even a rule about headwear. Like, yeah, it's it's absolutely crazy to me. And as well, like I do think there can be this prejudice that Muslim women aren't wearing the hijab by choice. So actually, I think it's also like such powerful movement in terms of, yeah, just defying that.
2: Yeah, I think the people who are making these decisions were men, and also like these decisions were made so long ago where like there was no one on that table to kind of say like okay how do we make sports more inclusive and it's only now that we're having these conversations of our inclusivity and diversity and bringing more people into sports that don't necessarily make it to high levels and now we're having these conversations and I'm so excited. Oh
0: yeah absolutely and as being part of this project which is like absolutely incredible um, has that inspired you to get involved in anything else in terms of like increasing participation for minority groups in sport?
2: Yeah it actually has it's made me think about like my own contributions in terms of like what have I studied what do I know how can I share other people's stories so I want to create my own like video series in the future um, that will just kind of like highlight different women that I know that have been around ever since I've been growing up kind of thing or ever since the campaign and I've got to know them through social media but also the thing that really made me happy and like being part of this whole program was the fact that I didn't know that there were so many of us that were so passionate about women's sports and when you know that there's other people you can just concentrate on what you know because before it felt like or I need to talk about rugby or swimming and all these different things that I have no clue about, but there's no one else doing it. So it's such a huge burden. But now I'm like, oh no, there's all, we're all here. And like, we can talk to each other. We can bounce ideas from each other and like share each other's posts and like do this podcast, for example, and just spread our message like across the world in England.
0: Yeah, absolutely love it. Our next question, not completely related to sport but just another super cool thing so when we were like getting some photos of you and stuff to promote the podcast you've been in vogue yeah talk to us about that (laughs) That
2: that's cool that is cool (laughs) so yeah I got invited to be um part of that because they were doing something with adidas and at the time I was an ambassador for them so I was really lucky to kind of have that it was so random it was literally like I think I got messaged like in the middle of the week saying do you want to do this thing and I told my manager yeah and then before I knew it within three days like I was on an airplane to Dubai and I was like what's <laughs> going on what's going on <laughs> oh man that is so cool yeah but I absolutely loved like the way they shot the images the way they told the story because I think a lot of you saw it but it's that image of me on top of a basketball net and. Yeah, it was just so fun to do that. And even like the styling of the whole shoot and just being in an Irish country was just so exciting because I was with other girls that played basketball, but they were all playing for like the national, one of the national teams in um, Dubai. And it was just like odd to kind yeah. of see all these girls who look literally look like me and were all like on the shoot. And yeah, when I was young, I never ever had these dreams even of like working with different brands and organizations and being on magazines and like now and then I'm just like if I can do it other people can do it and that's sort of like the message I try to kind of illustrate through my Instagram like I'm a normal person if I can do it you can do it too.
0: Oh yeah I think it's so powerful and it is like just by being present and the things that you post on Instagram and stuff I think that yeah shows girls growing up that there's absolutely no barriers to their success
1: yeah
0: oh love it so good
1: okay so what does the future look like for you what kind of your aims and ambitions moving forward
2: I think for me I've just realized like especially throughout lockdown that there's so many skills that I've had that I've just not utilized and in well last year now I wrote a play and that play quite kind of illustrated different girls who looked like me but they were all basketballers and they all met in the locker room and their whole life stories kind of intertwined and got shared to the audience through this locker room experience and then I sort of realized that you know I can tell stories about sports and I can film and I can write poetry and like I need to do things the way I know know how to do it and I think I want to share other people's stories because one of the things that I loved when I was studying photography before I put the camera down was being behind the camera and being able to tell other people's stories. And I think for the longest I've been in front of it. And when you're in front of it and the focus is on you, it can be very overwhelming because you, there's only so much you can say about yourself. I'm like, even when you say everything, like what do you keep for yourself and your friends and your family and the people that you know, really, really care about you. And what do you genuinely share with the rest of the world? And I think I've kind of reached a point where it's it has to be bigger than me. And in order for me to do that I need to be behind the lens and so that's my plan um to tell more stories whether that is film whether it's just short like interviews um I'm not 100 sure but that's the kind of direction that I'm trying to head into.
1: That's so exciting we can't wait to to kind of watch it all unfold definitely. Five, two. <laughs> <laughs> So the last thing we've got is juicy cues. um, It's five quick fire questions. The answer that comes to the top of your head first, just kind of blurt it out if you like. Just a bit of fun to wrap up the episode. Okay, so question one. Would you rather play all of the instruments or speak all of the languages?
2: All of the languages.
1: All of the languages. That's another point for Rona there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So question two, if you had a superpower, what would it be?
2: um people's minds reading them. Oh we Ooh. haven't had that
1: one.
0: That's, That's an intense superpower. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I would want to know.
2: <laughs> I'm too sensitive. <laughs> yeah. I, think I would want to know just so you know, like, okay, is that what you think about me? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I would be able to, I don't think I'd be
1: able to emotionally deal with it. Imagine someone was being really rude about you. you would be like, oh my
2: gosh. Like, you know, they'd be nice to you, but then you know to cut them off. You're like, yep, that's it, cancelled, bye. Yeah, <laughs> that's
1: true. That's a positive way of looking at it. <laughs> okay, if you had to be on Bake Off or you're baking for friends and family, what would be your speciality bake?
2: I think I'd make a red velvet cake.
0: Strong. Nice. that's that's a good choice question four what sport would you do if you weren't playing basketball
2: I'd probably do jiu-jitsu but I'm doing that
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's cool what do you not do you are one of these people at school that's really clever and academic and good at all sports and creative and creative yeah you're like all
2: three (laughs) I think it's just the way my mind works like I'm excited about different things and like I can't I've never known to do just one thing. Yeah. But yeah, I think martial arts, not necessarily jujitsu, but like martial arts. I just love the way they flip and they beat each other up. <laughs> it's pretty cool.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay, final question. What is your star
2: sign? Capricorn.
1: Oh, you're Capricorn. I don't think we've had a Capricorn.
0: No, we haven't. Are you into your star signs?
2: I mean, I know that Capricorns are the best. Oh, and for what words. more do you need to know? <laughs> yeah. well, that's pretty much, you know, all you need to know. Apparently, we're really like focused. We love sort of goals and achieving them and making them happen. But I think, I think it's true. But I'm quite lazy as well, so I'm kind of like, mm, I'm not sure. You <laughs> you're, I don't that you're, you're lazy. focused. Yeah,
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> you do too much to be lazy. <laughs> No, I'm, I'm actually very lazy like it's I'm a very lazy person <laughs> but like I have I have a day called sleep day and it's literally a day where like in the week I have I pick it at random where I don't see anyone and I just sleep and watch Netflix and chill and like I never break it for anyone or anything <laughs>
1: <laughs> love it I feel like we all need to adopt a sleep day that's quite a good day to factor into someone's lifestyle
2: Yeah because you don't feel bad about it then like I'm gonna sleep and have too much and I'm gonna eat and sleep again and then you know what I might watch some tv and then sleep again (laughs) but it's cool because it's sleep day. Yeah (laughs) I can't see you it's sleep day. Yeah (laughs) Yeah.
0: I know I don't know what I'm gonna do now that we're coming out of lockdown don't have an excuse to be anti-social anymore.
2: Exactly yeah. (laughs)
0: <laughs> uh, thank you so much for all you've shared today. That is, yeah, it's so good to hear, and I'm so excited about the book. Thank you
2: some Thanks so much emotions. for having me. I've properly enjoyed this. Because we are doctors, lawyers, mothers, footballers, first minister, boat laureate. We're on the move, and I'm telling you, the glass ceiling's going, we're coming through. Rise up, rise up, take the stage, play your game, don't be afraid. You don't work ever, ever, Jones of art. Always be proud you are, girl, gotta hold your head up high, don't let this moment pass you by, you can be anything you believe you can be, girl, this
1: world is waiting just for you, so go and shine and live the truth, you can be anything you believe you can be.